O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? He who walks blamelessly and does what is right, and speaks truth in his heart, who does not slander with his tongue, does no evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord, who swears to his own hurt and does not change, who does not put out his money at interest and does not take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things shall never be moved. That's Psalm 15, which along with Psalm 9 are the psalms appointed for today, Monday, October the 17th, 2022. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along. Uh, We are continuing our look at this book of Ecclesiasticus, um, which is a book from the Apocrypha, which is uh, a book that that neither the Jews nor Christians um, see as... Uh, part of the canon of Scripture, there's only 66 books in the canon. There, there are another ad- additional, what, 12 or so books in in what's known as the Apocrypha, which is used by some denominations, and t- but it's treated differently. It's not treated as the Word of God, per se. It's treated as a book from which we believe that there's something to be gained by reading it. So um, it, it, it's beyond, it's above and beyond sort of the, the run-of-the-mill books in the world, but but it doesn't rise to the level of Scripture. So anyway, we're in Ecclesiasticus chapter 4, verse 20 through chapter 5, verse 7. If you actually follow the link that I provide for these things, what you'll see is it's not called Ecclesiasticus for whatever reason. It's called Ecclesiasticus only (laughs) in the Episcopal lectionary. In in the Apocrypha itself, it's called the Wisdom of Ben Sirach. So then we're also in Luke's Gospel, chapter 9, verses 51 to 62, and then um, in the book of the Revelation, chapter 7, verses 1 to 8 today. <clears throat> we're starting with the, with the book of the Revelation today. We're picking up there. So the Ecclesiasticus, as I've said, is sort of like Proverbs, so it's a series of maxims. Um, so here we go. Watch for the opportune time and beware of evil, and don't be ashamed to be yourself. I like that. Watch for the opportune time. Be ready when the time when the right time comes. Beware of evil and don't be ashamed to be yourself. Um, don't put on a, a mask. Don't be a hypocrite. A hypocrite actually used to mean somebody who put on a mask in a play. Um, that's the original meaning of hypocrite. For there's a shame that leads to sin, and there's a shame that's glory and favor. So it, there's a proper sort of shame, and then there's a different sort of shame. Uh, that leads to sin. Don't show partiality to your own harm or deference to your downfall. Um, and in, in the um, the psalm that I read for us, it, it's one of the things there is he, he doesn't, um, he, he speaks truth in his heart, doesn't slander with his tongue, does no evil to his neighbor, nor takes a reproach against his friend. But then goes on to say, who swears to his own hurt and does not change. And that's what that is saying. Don't show partiality to your own harm or deference to your downfall. And that is assert your own rights. You, there's a proper humility, but a proper humility doesn't um, isn't obsequious. It doesn't bow down to your own harm. No. It, and Jesus never called us to be that kind of humble before someone that we, that we lose our sense of self or that we exalt them too much. And so there, there's, a, there's a proper humility, and then there's a, the wrong kind of humility. Uh, don't refrain from speaking at the proper moment and do not hide your wisdom. Now, that's sort of the opposite in some ways, of what, but, but not really, uh, of what Abraham Lincoln is supposed to have said, which is um, better to be silent and remain a fool than to speak and remove all doubt. So it, this is to say, you know, if you've got something to say, then, then you should say it. 
Um, if the Lord prompts you, then you, then you should speak. doesn't matter who you're speaking with. doesn't matter if you're speaking to the greatest biblical scholar. It, it's still okay and right to speak up whenever God's showing you something. For wisdom becomes known through speech and education through the words of the tongue. Never speak against the truth, but be ashamed of your ignorance. And the reason to be ashamed of your ignorance is that, that you should be pursuing knowledge. Don't be ashamed to confess your sin, and do not try to stop the current of a river. Um, there's no reason to be ashamed to confess your sins. God already, God already knows those sins. So don't, don't be ashamed to confess them. It's the right thing to do. And how does that then connect with don't try to stop the current of a river? Well, it's neither of those things actually has any effect. Being too ashamed to confess your own sins doesn't remove the sin, nor does it remove the guilt. And trying to stop the current of a river accomplishes nothing at all. There's a, there's a story about a, a British king, King Canute, C-N-U-T, who um, supposedly, in order to demonstrate the—it's the, um, the, told in the wrong way, typically, the story is. What, what he was actually trying to say was is that, that even kings are not the ultimate authority. And so to prove that, he goes out and he tells the waves to stop coming onto the beach, and it doesn't work. And so he, he says, you know, it's, it's everything in its proper sphere. You know, whoever has authority over that has greater authority than I do. Uh, but, but I do have authority, was his point. But, but mine is, is limited. Do not be subject, do not subject yourself to a fool or show partiality to a ruler. In other words, we're all men. Fight to the death for truth, and the Lord God will fight for you. Don't be reckless in your speech or sluggish and remiss in your deeds. Don't be like a lion in your home or suspicious of your servants. Don't rule like a lion. Don't don't terrorize everybody or be suspicious of your servants. Don't let your hand be stretched out to receive and closed when it's time to give. I mean, I like that. Don't let your hand be stretched out to receive and closed when it's time to give. It's nothing wrong with being able to being ready to stretch out your hand when it's time to receive, but don't be closed when it's time to give. I was I can remember I worked at a a, a private men's club in Chattanooga. This is years and years ago now. I was probably 20 years old. Um, and I was talking to the head waiter there one day about somebody, and, and he, he was speaking well of this person, and, and, and he said, and his arm's not broke either. And I said, I'm sorry, Alvin, I didn't understand what that meant. He said, that means he can reach his back pocket and pull out his wallet. <laughs> um, don't rely on your wealth or say, I have enough. Jesus tells that when he tells the parable of the fool who built bigger barns because he had bigger crops, because now my soul is at ease. And he says, fool, your soul is going to be demanded of you today. You have no earthly idea. So don't rely on your wealth or say, I have enough, because we're not in, there's, a, there's sort of an idea there that says, don't feel like you can retire, which is exactly what happened with Abraham, right? I mean, we all kind of want Abraham to be able to retire after Isaac and all that. But instead, God comes 32 years later and says, after these things, God tested Abraham and 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 said, take your son, your only son, the one you love, and take him up on the place I'll show you and sacrifice him to me there. You know, and so no, don't don't be settled. Don't follow your inclination and strength and in pursuing the desires of your heart. No, leave that to God. Do not say, who can have power over me, for the Lord will surely punish you. So if you think you're all that in a bag of chips, then ultimately God's going to humble you. Do not say, I sinned, yet what has happened to me? I got away with it, right? For the Lord is slow to anger. It doesn't mean that it's always going to happen. No, no, no. Deal with sin in your life. Don't think, well, I got away with that. Don't be so confident of forgiveness that you add sin to sin. I mean, I think that's a, that, that's a wonderful little aphorism right there. Don't be so confident of forgiveness that you add sin to sin. It's what Paul says when he said, so, you know, 
sin all the more so that grace may abound. No, 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 no. That's the wrong attitude to have towards that. Do not say his mercy is great. He'll forgive the multitude of my sins, for both mercy and wrath are with him, and his anger will rest on sinners. So if you become a sinner, in other words, if you become the, the person who persists in, who is identified with that sin because it's just something you continue to do, then ultimately his anger will rest on you, which means it'll remain there. It's not going to be pulled away. Don't delay to turn back to the Lord and do not postpone it from day to day. For suddenly the wrath of the Lord will come upon you, and at the time of punishment you'll perish. In other words, deal with sin. Deal with sin. Sin, sin, it matters. It matters to God. Don't persist in it because then your heart becomes hardened, and it becomes inured to that, and, and, and it seeks after that, and it becomes the desire of your heart. In the gospel, um, Today, now, is when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. So he's, he's prepared the disciples as best he can by telling them what's going to happen. And now, for the rest of the book, <clears throat> he's either moving towards Jerusalem or he's in Jerusalem for the last days. I mean, Luke's gospel is about half um, everything prior to the last week of Jesus' life and, and then the last week of his life. So he, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. In other words, he would not be dissuaded from that. He was going to go in that direction. He knew what, what was going to happen next, but, but he was determined that that would be the case. And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. Now remember in John 4, when they were going back, they went through Samaria. Now here they're going to Jerusalem, and he chooses to go through Samaria. Most people wouldn't have done that. Most Jews wouldn't choose to go through Samaria for one simple reason. wasn't safe. They hated the Jews so much and considered it a favor to God to harm them. And so if you were going to Jerusalem for a festival, you were not welcome there because you were going to be an apostate. You were doing heretical worship, worship that they believed God hated. So you didn't go through, through Samaria on the, from Galilee on the way to Jerusalem. You took the long way around because you were not welcome there. And you didn't like them either. I mean, <laughs> there was sort of a mutual hatred society between them. But the people didn't receive him because his face was set towards Jerusalem. They knew he was going there for the Passover. And they didn't want that to happen. They, they didn't want to support that in any shape, form, or fashion because they thought it was heretical and apostate. So they didn't—you uh, can understand why they would have felt that way, that it, why they, would have, they wouldn't have wanted to be a party to your trip to Jerusalem if they thought they were supporting false worship. So when his disciples, James and John, saw their lack of hospitality, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them like in Sodom and Gomorrah? Do you want us to do that? Because that's one of the things that they considered one of the great sins of Sodom and Gomorrah is inhospitality. And the reason they believed that, in addition to the immorality of the place, was is that, that just before the, the angels go down to Sodom and Gomorrah, they are treated with incredible hospitality by Abraham, who is recovering at that moment from his circumcision. And he treats them with great hospitality, and then they go down there, and they're treated, treated completely inhospitably. And so they believe that's one of the reasons. And, and they believe that Sodom and Gomorrah became people who were known for inhospitality. And then Lot's daughter, who slept with him, remember, becomes the mother of the Moabites. And so the Moabites then are also those who are known for a, 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 an in, to be inhospitable people. So it's really odd that Elimelech takes his family and goes there when there's a, a famine in the land in the book of Ruth. But So here now, they, the James and John say, you want us to treat them like Sodom and Gomorrah because they're in, inhospitable. But he turned and rebuked them. 
and they went on to another village. No, I'm not here to judge. I've already told you this. It doesn't matter <laughs> who they are. It doesn't matter that they're Samaritans. You hate them. That's really what's going on here. If a, if a Jew had treated you that inhospitably, you wouldn't want to do this, but you want to do this because you already hate the Samaritans. And Jesus says, no, that's not what this is about. So they went on to another village, and as they were going along the road, somebody said to him, I'll follow you wherever you go. Jesus said to him, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. This is not the road to prosperity, is what he's saying. You, you need to count the cost before you come and follow me. You need to understand that that I don't even have, I don't even have a fixed dwelling place. Is that what you want? Is that what you wanted to sign up for? And the assumption is the guy doesn't. And to another, Jesus says, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me go first and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Now, there, there are three options for that. One is that, that the man's father has just died. We don't have any sense that that's true. Jesus wouldn't have been that insensitive, I don't believe. Second, the option is is that it's it's the role and the duty of the eldest son in a family in, at that time to bury the father. And so he, he says, I, I can't leave my father to come follow you because I have an obligation to to bury my father first. And so his father could have been sick or whatever and could be dying. Um, the other thing is, is that if he does this, if he leaves and goes on and, and shirks that duty, then he's not getting his inheritance. <laughs> so there's a cost to him for doing that. And the third thing is, is, is that, that the tradition was that you put the, put the body in a place and, and a year later you went back and collected the bones and then you buried them. So that could be, he could be saying, hey, just wait, give me until this period of time is over, and I'll do it. It seems to me the second of those options that dad's sick and um, he's, he's compromising his ability to collect his inheritance by doing it is the one that's, that's in view here. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. And that refers probably back to when Elijah comes and throws his uh, cloak over Elisha in anointing him to be the prophet to replace him. And he says, first, let me go home and, and tell my family. And, and he says, what have I to do with you? And then so Elisha then uh, breaks up the, the, uh, the yoke for the oxen because he's plowing and then kills the oxen and sacrifices him and said, okay, let's go. So that, that's probably the reference there, that no one um, who, is, who uh, puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. <clears throat> and then in the, um, in the lesson from Revelation today, we're getting the, the fullness of the Jews coming in. We're seeing the fullness of the Jews coming into the kingdom in the end. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth. And now that doesn't, that's not implying, by the way, that, that these, these are flat earth. That's, that's not implying that at all. Um, it's a metaphor. So they're standing at the four corners of the earth. You can see this, all right? You can see, uh, like, if you're out raking leaves with a bunch of people trying to collect things, and you've got people standing at the four corners of the tarp that you're raking them up onto. So now you've got four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, north, south, east, and west, that no wind might blow on the earth or sea or against any tree. So there's this dead calm across the earth. Then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God, and he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm earth and sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of God on their foreheads. 
Well, th- this twice now in these two verses that that there's been this thing about don't that the no wind could blow against the earth or the sea or against a tree, and now the angel tells the four angels not to harm the earth or the sea or the trees. What is this deal with the trees? Where's this come from? Well, I'll tell you where it comes from. <laughs> it comes from Deuteronomy 20. Uh, when, when God's giving instructions for how to conquer the land, what he says is, when you besiege a city a long time to make war against it in order to capture it, you shall not destroy its trees by swinging an axe against them, for you may eat from them, and you shall not cut them down. For it's the tree, for is the tree of the field a man? that it should be besieged by you? The tree hasn't done you any harm. Only the trees which you know are not fruit trees you shall destroy and cut down, that you may construct siege works against the city that's making war with you until it falls. So when you're coming into the land, don't destroy the trees that bear fruit because those those things will provide something for you. It's okay to destroy the non-fruit-bearing trees so that you can rage a siege works against the city that you're capturing. And, and there, but there are places then when it's a defensive war, when when the kings will tell them to go and do that very thing in order to make life hell for these people who have made life hell for them. But it, but it's important to, to recognize the limitation that's placed on the angels here. Don't harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we've sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. So don't do anything that would cause undue suffering on the earth because some of the people who are on the earth are not under God's judgment. So that's, that's what this, this is saying. This is why the trees become an important, important part here in, in Revelation 7, 1 to 8, because there's sustenance from the earth, the sea, and the trees. And I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel, 12,000 from Judah, from Reuben, from Gad, from Asher, Naphtali, Manasseh, Simeon, Levi, Issachar, Zebulun, Joseph, and Benjamin. Ephraim isn't named. So there should have been two half-tribes, but Ephraim is not named in that. Only Manasseh is named of the sons of, of Joseph. So Ephraim doesn't participate in the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. It's an interesting thought that that, that tribe has been left out in the end time. So anyway, that's the so what the how to it's hard for me always I'll, I'll I'll confess this it's difficult for me when you've got this series of maxims that you do in Ecclesiasticus or Proverbs either one it, it, it's not difficult to comment on them it's difficult then to wrap those <laughs> into the the overarching message of the the lessons for the day at the end of the day what what we do and and what we're what we're called to do is persevere. It's to set first the kingdom of God and to make that our primary thing. That's what Jesus says to all three of the people that he speaks with along the way in, in this passage from the gospel. And then it's, it's also the same thing. It's how important we are to him. And, and so if we want to be in that number at the end, when the saints go marching in, because that's part of that song and it's based on that. So if we want to be in that number, then we've got to want to be in that number. I mean, and we've got to want to be in it not just then, but we've got to want to be in it day to day to day to day because we don't know and we're not guaranteed tomorrow. So we want to be in that number today. We want to be those who are filled with his spirit today, filled with the spirit of wisdom and the filled with the spirit of the knowledge and the desire for the kingdom of God today. Not just on the day of our death, but every single day of our lives because we don't know what day he'll come for us.